Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. I am joined today by Michael Sean Dugar. Michael is a writer for The Athletic. He covers the Seahawks. Russell Wilson is in the news. There's uh, some rumblings there. He wants to get in. He wants to get in and on quarterback empowerment trade rumor. So we'll talk about all that. Who's who's at fault there? What's going on? Uh, you should also listen to Michael. He hosts the Man to Man podcast. I listened to some of those in preparation for this. I listened to some before. That's an excellent podcast there. And he's also, I believe, a unpaid internship advocate. Do you want to do you want to talk about that subject before, before <laughs> oh, we get into oh anything my else? God, that was just a. It was so so bad. There's there's like three. I don't even care. Remember, there's a lot of like topics whenever they resurface on Twitter. It's like how much a date should cost, like the two hundred dollar date d- discussion, unpaid internships. Oh, there's a, there's a couple of them that's just like you got to mute those. I can't believe I engaged in the unpaid internship one. Lesson to all future journalists: do not work for free. Don't. Yeah, you, don't, you, no. you 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 did get it. I mean, I just assumed that everyone has seen this before, so it's always amazing to me that there's like an incredulous reaction to a pushback about this. It's like, haven't we done this? Haven't we done this a, a few times? A million times. Done it a million times to the point where I'm just more comfortable quoting the Joker. If you're good at something, never do it for free. And I would even amend that. Even if you're bad at it, if someone's willing to pay you for it, let them. You know, that's the <laughs> amendment that also matters. You can be bad at something as long as someone pays you, it's good. Yeah, yeah. I like to think I'm partially sticking it to the man by – just doing like a decent but not great job while getting paid at the same time. That's how there that's, you go. There you go. that's that's the American way, I think. Yeah, that's that's how you get things done. But all right, so let, let, let's skip over the controversy of the day. I'm sure there'll be something new on Twitter by the time that uh, this airs tomorrow morning. But let, let, let's get to the news first. So we're going to talk, Russ. Like I said, all that sort of stuff because um, that is your your specific focus with the Seahawks. But DJ, JJ Watt is also entering the division. This has gone from you know, code red as far as how difficult the NFC West is. And now it's just really taking it to the next level. I mean, I don't think there's a division even on par with that because not only do we have this, but we had the Stafford trade before this coming in. So just step back for a second. When you heard the news, were you surprised? And what do you think about the fit with the C- I mean, with the Cardinals? My, my first reaction, I text some homies in a group chat. I was like, man, DeAndre Hopkins is a better recruiter than the Watt brothers. Um, so, you know, because that was the first thing. I know some people were kind of taking it back, like, why Arizona? It's like, hello, like his home, he's, his homies there, right? You go where your homies are, you know, especially if your homies are places in nice weather. We got homies in Chicago, like, we can FaceTime. You got a homie in Scottsdale, we can, you know, I'll pull up on you. You know, that that made perfect sense uh, to me, regardless of how good the team might be. I think it was yet another reminder of the difficulty that, Russell Wilson and the Seahawks have had over the course of Russ's career. I mean, look at, I think the the winningest duo or the winningest team since Russell came into the league is the Patriots, right? I think in the Seahawks are second. Yeah. But yeah. look at the division that Russell has had to compete in versus what Brady has had to compete in in that time. This is not to say that Brady's not great, but the degree of difficulty is off the charts. Right? I think every team in the NFC West has made the Super Bowl since 2008, I want to say. Um, I know that precedes Russell by a little bit, but still, it's the the point is that every team has had a run where they're good, whether it was the, the Carson Palmer Cardinals, the Kaepernick Niners, the Jimmy G Niners, the Jared Goff Rams. Like They've all been good. They've all made Super Bowl runs, and the Seahawks have still just kind of withstood it. They've never sucked. They've all they've never picked in the top 10 in that span, whereas their, their, their other uh, teams are. I think that'll continue, but like this is just another example for people to see. Like, man, the NFC West has been good for a while. And it's always a dominant team, and the Seahawks are always right in the thick of things. Like, despite the turmoil um, that's going on right now that we'll talk about, it's really impressive that they've been able to withstand every team, every other team in the division having all pros, and for the Seahawks to still be like churning out winning seasons every year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and now with this transaction, you could say that the Rams and the Cardinals, you know, 2021, maybe this is the best year that they're going to have over the last few years. You know, maybe they're they're even peaking a little bit more at this point. You have the 49ers, obviously a ton of injuries there, all of them coming back at the same time. So with J.J. Watt now, Chandler Jones coming back from injury, what do you think about this Cardinals team? Is this a team that that's the question is, are they really a team that can compete? So I think there was there was a little bit of surprise for a couple of different reasons. Number one, their name just wasn't out there. Number two, people see them as maybe bidding a, a middling sort of franchise in a very difficult division, so not having that high-end outcome. Do you think this Cardinals team, with J.J. Watt, with Kyler potentially taking the next step, can they c- compete for a championship? 
I know some other teams in the JJ like sweepstakes kind of looked more attractive because the division wasn't as strong. But I think like regardless of your division being strong or weak, like if you're Cleveland or even Buffalo, it doesn't matter because you're in the AFC, right? So ultimately, if you want to get to the championship, the Chiefs are there eventually to stop you, whether you play them twice a year or once in January, right? They're just in your way. So I, I think that the NFC teams had that to their advantage if you weren't in the NFC West, like a Green Bay. Um, you know, like there's not necessarily that team that you have to go through, like the Chiefs um, every year. But the weird thing about the Cardinals, and I sent this to a separate group chat, I was like, man, they keep getting better every offseason, but I don't feel like the on-field product reflects that. Like, I thought they had a really good offseason last year by grabbing D-Hop, but they drafted well. Um, they, had, they had added another piece or two that I had just liked. And then I saw them week whatever it was on Sunday Night Football, and I was like, okay, they're like, okay, I guess. I know they, they won that game. Right. Uh, but I just didn't I didn't feel like super blown away. I thought like the Cardinal D hop thing was going well, but their offense was pretty like boring for what I thought it would be when you have Kyler and Cliff Kingsbury and one of the best, if not the best receiver in the league. So like I I on paper they'll look great again, you know, like like you said, Chandler Jones, uh, they'll probably lose Patrick Peterson, but still got Buddha, um, who's really, really, really dynamic. Um, like they have great players. But I just I don't I have to see it with them. It's weird they keep having good teams on paper and keep making the right additions, high end additions. But I just don't see it paying off in the regular season. So in the if it can't pay off in the regular season, it won't play off in the playoffs. So I think they'll be good, but I don't necessarily see them as like contender yet. I'm one of the see it to believe it type of people on Arizona right now. Yeah, no, I think that 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 makes sense. I mean, it's interesting that you say that as someone who's seen them because I think sometimes people can overrate teams within their own division, especially like you mentioned, there was a loss there, but it wasn't a great offensive performance. I think that's the thing with me, with the Cardinals is you mentioned Cliff Kingsbury, uh, Kyler Murray was getting some MVP-ish sort of hype, maybe midway through the season. But I, I started to dig into you know some of the numbers here. It looks like efficiency-wise, the offense was about league average and the defense was actually about league average. So it was really like a, an equal team on both sides. It wasn't an offensive powerhouse. And, you know, they're going to need to take another step forward. So Kingsbury's been there now. You know, he's, he's had his time now for two years. So And same with, same with Kyler Murray. So why, why do we think that this team can potentially get better? I think that's more of a question mark than it was going into last season. Like, you could see them, okay, this is the year, his second season, everyone's second season, everyone, you take the leap. Um, but it didn't happen. And now you add J.J. Watt, so I think the defense can get better. But is that defense even going to maintain maintain being league average? I think that's that's the question here is what's the path to getting to that next level without the offense doing it? Yeah, it's it's tricky. After, um, I think, Cliff Kingsbury, either their first game they played against him or the second game, and there's a big gap there, uh, so it's important. But uh, someone within the Seahawks had mentioned to me, they were like, this is not going to work. I said, what's this? I was like, they're coached. What it, it's not going to work. Um, I was like, oh, it's fascinating. He explained it to me why. Um, I was like, oh, okay. Um, and then they got, um, oddly enough, I talked to that same person after they got D-Hop. And it was just like, still won't work. I was like, wow, really? You're really low on this on this particular coach. Um, and, yeah, they put 37 on the Seahawks um, in the in the whatever game they just lost uh, last year's Sunday Night Football. But there is this, like, this sentiment. I don't know if this other people in the division share this, but it, I think it's one of the Seahawks. Like, this is not a thing that they're worried about. Not to say they're worried about anybody. Like, you hear people in the Seahawks talk about Sean McVay. It's not something they're worried about, quote, unquote, but, like, they should be. Whereas, like, with Cliff and the offense in particular, I know the defense is another discussion, but the offense in particular, I think you need a, a really good passing offense or really efficient offense to be really dominant. It just doesn't feel like something – really worried about like even even the week 11 game i don't know kyler was a little banged up you know against the seahawks it was like we know how to stop him from beating us you know we know how to contain him on the ground they did that you know how to contain his best weapon i think d hop had like five catches for 50 yards or something like that you know they they just seem really beatable you know whereas like you get we get to these point we talk ourselves into some of these other teams that are contenders like how are you gonna beat them of course any team can be beat but, like, that was, like, last year, I was one of the people, like, how do you beat Green Bay? And it was just, like, well, the Brady and them figured it out. But, like, even those 2019 Ravens, it was, like, man, how do you beat them? Like, the Chiefs every year now, it's, like, how do you beat them? With the Cardinals, even with J.J., even with the, you know, the other talent they have on DNO, I just – I feel like you can find an answer to how do you beat them. And until they reach that status where, like, ah, oh, man, ain't no way to top them, 
they they're like on that next tier of teams they're like it'd be, they'd be fun but necessarily may not be like legit contenders kind of like what cleveland was last year i would argue yeah i mean another thing with kyler is just pure passing if you were to t- strip the running out of, of what he was doing with scrambling uh his design runs i mean he was kind of like 20th maybe best 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 uh, as far as that's concerned from an efficiency standpoint he was just really really doing a lot on the ground and it was actually i think i believe it was that seahawks game where he first got injured the first time they played uh midway through the game he didn't do a lot he struggled for several weeks after that when he wasn't able to run they said the defense was playing them differently but i wonder if he was somewhat injured and then he started to come back at the end of the year so yeah if you don't have that passing ceiling it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be a little bit rough for them. What, what about JJ though with this addition? What about the, the the price tag? You know, you mentioned he has, you know, he's he's got his buddy uh, DeAndre Hopkins there. He's got uh, what is it, thirty one million dollars coming his way. That helps, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> that's, that's like your uh, next best yeah. friend. That's, that that's you you need that if you're gonna move to Scottsdale too, or Phoenix or wherever. Probably not living in Glendale. Like he's you're living good with that that twenty three guaranteed. Yeah, yeah. And Watt is like one of these guys where if you look back at how much he's been paid, he was never paid like Aaron Donald's going to be paid these next couple of years. Like, he was a dominant force. He signed a very long-term contract. I think it was a, I think it was a six-year, $100 million contract, which sounds really big for that point in time, but he was never quite on that same level. So I'm not quite surprised that he took the money to – or at least a little bit more money than he probably could have gotten from someplace like like Pittsburgh, let's say, to, to, to go there. Um, what do you think about him as a player, though? Is he worth that type of money or – could the Cardinals have looked to spend, you know, pick up a couple of probably decent mid-level free agents uh, in this year of a of a of a subdued cap? Also, I think that sometimes numbers don't lie, but they can be manipulated to tell us what we want to see. Sometimes, too, like of course, I think, and 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 we're lazy. Not me and you in particular. Just like we as a media are like lazy when we do numbers. Like I, I see a lot of people right now telling me JJ Watt's not good because he have five sacks or something like that. It's like okay. Right. If that's where you're starting with this, then I'm probably not going to talk to you or take you seriously, right? I'm going to be very surface level with my engagement. And we talk about defensive players. Like, uh, shout out to the homie Aaron, who covers the Texans for us at the Athletic. Like, he did a dive, I think, or like early January on how JJ's actually still solid. You know, like the numbers he was able to put up on a team that was just just getting whooped, right? Like, you're not getting a lot of pass rush opportunities. And he was, and he's getting double teamed, and there's no one else that can you know, really like force a double team or beat single coverage for him to put up those numbers. Like, I think when he's in another environment, um, it'll be like, you know, even better. You know, I think, I think he's still got some in the tank. And I think really because he won't be counted on to be like the anchor of the defense. It's like, Hey man, go in there and kill the quarterback from, you want me to do it from the five or the three, both. All right, cool. You know, like, I think that's a lot, you know, easier on him, especially pair him next to Chandler. And honestly, they just get pass rush regardless over there. They'll like, they might drop JJ and like send Buddha or whatever. And like Buddha will get there, you know, send some corners. Like they get, they get creative over there uh, in Arizona. So I think the fit is actually like, and there's just something to be said for guys. This shouldn't be the case. Obviously in theory, you should just play hard no matter what. Like, man, it's hard to just keep doing that when your team sucks. You know, not to say JJ was taking plays off because they stunk, but like that is like look at Carlos Dunlap for the Seahawks to spin it back to Seattle. Man, Cincinnati was trash. You know, it's just like it's hard, and you didn't fight like the organization wanted them. Like, like I can see like lack of motivation, and lack of production at that point because then you get into it like how your coaches are using you, your snaps. Um, you know, Benson Mayoa was a little bit the same way in his last year in Oakland. They were still in Oakland at the time. Like, his snaps just dropped in the second half. So his production dropped. Like, it was something with the coaches. Like, there's all these factors that go in to the numbers you ultimately produce. So I think if you put J.J. on any contender, um, on a team that's going to get more chances to rush the passer, when his focus is not just, hey, carry our whole defense, but just, like, be a good guy on our defense, um, is that worth whatever that average is out to, 15 mil or something? Uh, probably not, uh, but – I mean, I'll take 15 mil to go live in Arizona. And I can see why Arizona did it because, like, they have to do something to catch up because they are really behind in a division. And now they got a guy whose ceiling is probably still probably 10, 11 sacks or something like that, you know, in in the right scheme or a a bunch of pressures uh, this next coming year. So, yeah, I'm I'm really high on what J.J. can still do. Just got to be in the right situation. And it makes sense for a lot of guys when they get on the other side of 30. Yeah, yeah. Well, we shall see what's going on. And, you know, they're building, they're adding pieces. 
Um, that kind of transitions us over to Russell Wilson and the most recent, uh, I don't know, beef may not be the right word, but there's some issues there. So I, I want to know, just just give me someone that I can point the finger at on this. So is it is it Russ? Is it Pete? Is it uh, Seahawks Twitter and Ben Baldwin? Um, is it the media? Are you to blame? Are, 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 you, to, are, are you to blame for this? Uh, we always get some blame in the media. That's for sure. It's always our fault. Um, I think, like, for example, there's some people responding to our story on Russell and, and Pete and being like, man, the media just needs something to talk about. And it's just like, God, Russell wanted us to talk about it. Like, Russell was <laughs> like, I'm going to go on every talk show there is during the biggest sporting event in America, uh, the weekend of it, the Super Bowl, that is. And then, like, uh, I'm going to go talk about it. Right. Like that's that was Russell. He wanted us to do it. Uh, but, yeah, I definitely got to throw some cre- uh, credit at like Ben Baldwin, who has become like the leader of the nerds. You know, I'm in Seahawks Twitter. I don't know if the Seahawks Twitter is the nerdiest uh, like fan base, but I would I would imagine, you know, it's up there. Um, and, you know, a lot of that credit or blame, however you would have spent it, uh, goes to Ben, who like legitimately the tables that he'll tweet or the charts like I think it was Dalvin Cook's agent who legitimately like sent it out, was like using it in negotiations like. If you talk to agents who do some of the stuff, they do come with advanced um, like, like analytics and stuff like that. And it will mirror like some EPA stuff or some on off numbers that you'll see like uh, Ben put out or from True Media or even PFF. Like it's 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 really impressive, like the the impact that the Internet has on this. Like Brian Schottenheimer was well aware of the let Russ cook thing before they did. Like Pete Carroll was well aware. Russell Wilson was well aware. And it's not because they're just bored on their phone on Twitter all the time. Like the impact was there to the point where I bet you if Brian Schottenheimer went out to dinner or something, the waiter was probably like, man, so is Russ going to cook this year? You know, like that's, that's how, that's how strong it really was. So like, yeah, I mean, realistically it's Russ, it's Pete, like they're the, they're the guys who have the egos and the pride and stuff like that. But uh, for the purpose of, I don't know, shaming or crediting Seahawks Twitter. Like, yeah, it's all you guys. It's, it's, uh, it's Phil goals. It's Ben. Um, it's probably Mina Kimes too. Uh, Colin Cowher is not essentially in Seahawks Twitter, but he's like from Seattle and like is the biggest voice uh, from Seattle and the Seahawks. So like him too, it's everyone who like is in this little community of pro Russell nerdiness that just like led to the best run of Russell Wilson's career. Um, and unfortunately, the end of that run is what like sparked probably the biggest rift between Pete and Russ in their nine years together. You know what? You know what's interesting about the situation because I mean I think there's actually like a kind of a, a loop here a little bit because Russ. Now we think of Russ now as being, especially going into the season and for the for the first you know five weeks of the season before you know more than that probably about the first eight weeks of the season as being you know probably the number two quarterback in the NFL. Uh, over the offseason, he was coming in as scoring very high, like Mike Sando comes out with his quarterback tiers. I think he was tied with uh, Patrick Mahomes for being in a tier one for all 50 of the people that he pulled. Now, you rewind back, you only have to go back a couple of years. People were viewing him as maybe the eighth best quarterback in the league, the 10th best quarterback in the league. I think a lot of the analytics stuff that came from Seahawks Twitter, obviously some of it is the people like Ben Baldwin and Mina who are going to be friendly to analytics at all times. But part of it was, it was a great argument for why Russell Wilson was good, especially against someone like Andrew Luck. When you had the two of them side by side, Luck was mm-hmm. the the golden child. He was the number one overall pick. Pure numbers based, not not he wasn't that good, especially starting off his career. Whereas Russell was always extremely efficient from almost day one. So I think Russell actually kind of brought a lot of Seahawks along on this nerd on this nerd ride by by being an efficient low volume type of quarterback who doesn't get respect. Yeah, I think Russell being the 75th pick and being compared to guys like RG3 and Andrew Luck and I, I want to is Tannehill in that class too? I think he um, is, yeah. 20, yeah. yeah, and it's someone else who stinks. Maybe it's like Brandon Whedon or something like that. But like <laughs> yeah, being compared to all of these guys like really fit the Seattle kind of mindset it's an underdog city you know up in the left upper left corner of the country not a big market not really talked about much and russell fit that he was like the underdog thing like it's almost like hey national media talk about us you know we're not la we're not new york we're not boston or not chicago or whatever or dallas like talk about us and it fit that russell kind of was like really good not really under the radar because he kept making pro bowls but like no, it was a long time there. You'd be hard to, hard pressed to find anyone who thought like he was better than like Andrew Luck, who didn't have like a two hundred six phone number. 
uh, right. you know, and that and that fit. It really fit, even though Indy's not like a big market either, but it was like the draft status. Again, he was taking 74 picks or whatever ahead of Russell Wilson. That really fit. And I think that fueled it as well. When I talked about, I did a story on the origins of let Russ cook. That was a really important part when to drive home. Like Seattle is an underdog place. We don't have a bunch of championships in this city just in general. I think the Storm have um, the, the most, and then it's the Sounders, I think. Like we don't have like a ton there. So you get this like natural chip on our shoulders. When we have this guy, we think is not getting love. We'll do everything, um, even irrational or not to like push him forward. Whether that's find the analytics or start tweeting clips of film or whatever, or like start tearing down the other quarterbacks in the league, whether that's like a takedown of Matt Ryan or Cam Newton or Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, like we'll do all those things. It just happened to be that they were also right. It wasn't just irrational, like takedowns and like hyping up or hyping up Russ because he's Russ. It was like, no, like he's legitimately good. And you guys should pay more attention to the fact that he's good, not just Marshawn or the defense. It was like everyone in Seattle naturally becoming Russ's PR people um, because they they like Russell felt slighted. Finally, the 2021 NFL Draft Guide is out with 150 player profiles, everything you need to be on top of things well before we get to April when your team is on the clock. You can get it with an Edge or Elite subscription. Use promo code SUPERBOWL25 and get 25% off those subscriptions. And that promo code is active through Monday after the Super Bowl. That's 25% off an annual Edge or Elite subscription which includes the 2021 NFL Draft Guide with promo code SUPERBOWL25. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions, like when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Now, now the change that we've seen with Russ and the the most recent stuff that we're that we're seeing this last you know couple of weeks, there's been there's been more though in the past, like we mentioned over the last year or so, and it kind of coincides with this national appreciation for Russell Wilson. So, do you think that plays into it? Do you think his own? I mean, I'm sure he always had a very high opinion of himself and how good he is but because of the fact that there is this outside love appreciation respect do you think that plays into now how he's engaging the Seahawks from the place that he's engaging from I think that it's it's not as he's always thought him he was really good right right but I think um it's a combination of seeing the other guys thrive and get what he wants in in systems that really make them great you know, like there was no like Cam Newton or Matt Ryan. You look at their 2015 and 16 seasons and it's like, man, how the hell did they do that? Like from Russell's view, it's like I'm I'm better than these guys. I've beaten these guys. I've, I've beaten them in playoff games. I think he had beaten Matt Ryan by that point. But like the point is that he's better than those guys. Right. And he is better than those guys. But what did they get? They got to the Super Bowl as MVPs. You know, they got what Russell wanted. Like, he, he doesn't really care if he gets MVP at the way the Super Bowl, just kind of wants to be there. But, I mean, he also does want, you know, an MVP, multiple MVPs, multiple championships. So, like, he's seeing himself as this, and it's like, okay, finally, when I'm on that now, now that when I'm cooking, I am getting that love. I am on the way to win MVP. I am playing the best football uh, of my career. You take that away from me, like, then it becomes a real, like, it was already a problem when he wasn't getting the opportunity you know, to cook, quote unquote, because he's always wanted that. He's always wanted more control over the situation, over more control over the offense, more responsibility, all these things. Whether it deserved them or not, he wanted them. And so he, it's one thing to beef when you're not getting that. It's like, okay, it's like you be like a kid, you know, they want, you want like a bike from your parents for Christmas, right? They won't give you a bike, they won't give you a bike, they won't give you a bike. Of course, you're upset, right? Because you want to ride around the bike with your friends and in the neighborhood. All right, well, so then they give you the bike. And you're riding around, you know, and then you fall off one, scrape your knee, and it's like, ah, I'm taking your bike away. Okay, well, that's a different level of anger now because now I know what it's like to ride that thing, right? And you've taken that away from me. And so that's kind of where, like, uh, Russell, it's not like this is a new beef, but I do think the element of giving him what he's wanted and then taking it away so quickly, too, after only eight games or whatever, like just mid season switch, I think that 
more than just the fact that it happened. It's the context behind it that has like gotten us to this point where the quarterback and the head coach, the two most important people in the building, um, aren't seeing eye to eye. And does the 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 move to Shane Waldron does it matter who's brought in there or as long as Pete Carroll, you know, Pete Carroll is, you know what he said, you know, that he said he wants to get back to running the ball more. Is that, is, is there, is there nothing going to satisfy him in that regard? As far as who the offensive coordinator will be, who will be, who will be calling the path, who will be calling the plays and so on. Yeah. I, I never really have thought it matters. And I learned this kind of like after, cause I've only been coming to Seahawks since 2017, which is not really that long compared to like some of my peers, but like, it's very clear. It does not matter who these coordinators are. Like, and I don't want to say it's entirely irrelevant. Like, guys will tell you, like, there was a difference between Chris Richard and Dan Quinn and, you know, Ken Norton. Like, I think Bobby's played for all of them, you know, and KJ Wright has as well. So, obviously, they know there's some differences between those guys. But for the most part, you're playing a version of Pete Carroll's, like, idea. You know what I mean? You're not just – you don't have full autonomy. And that's the case on the offensive side of the ball, too, even though Pete's known to be a defensive coach. The thing about defensive coaches is they tend to be naturally, like, risk-averse in that way. You know, like, they're not going to – they just believe in playing it safer, just, like, inherently their you know, belief in how football should work. So, no, I've never really thought the OC matters a ton. Like, I don't think changing the OC – his, or, or the defensive coordinator. Like, we were having this discussion when the defense was trash in the first half of the season. Like, they just weren't playing very well. The numbers were bad. Um, like, I was telling people, like, sure, you could fire Ken Norton. Then do what? Hire somebody else who's just going to come in and do what Pete says, you know, or whatever. Like, it doesn't really it doesn't really matter. And right now, I think Russell has realized that, too. You know, it's like he's had Daryl Bevel, had some success. Bev was throwing it too much got the boot they also weren't running it very good in 2017 but still got the boot shoddy comes shoddy's doing his thing they're throwing it too much gets the boot right it's like all right well i hire shane waldron is shane waldron gonna come here right away and piss off his boss probably not no he's probably gonna come here and run the ball more right so if you're russell it's like okay my, my beef isn't with the ocs it's with the guy who's really shaping the offense and that's something it's hard to quantify like if you look at the numbers from this year after eight games, they were still like what top eight and uh, early down passing. So you don't see like them going back to the 1950s, but it's more so how it feels behind the scenes. You know, if 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 on Thursday I'm really trying to you know make sure like when we're you know working on our passing and you got the guy overseeing the whole practice is like nah 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 chill out chill out. You know, I don't care what the numbers look like at the end of the day. Like this is still people on the field with brains and egos that have to to execute all this. So. Can Shane Waldron fix all that? Man, I don't know. I doubt it. Like, can Shane Waldron turn water to wine? Like, you know, like, I don't I don't really know. So I'm not super confident in that particular guy coming in and fixing what's wrong here because I don't think he'll just have the power or the voice to do so. I have to, like, shade him as a dude. I don't know. I'm going to see him once on Zoom. But if you look at all that, what's ailing the team right now internally, I don't know how you can expect some outsiders to come in and fix it. He's not a therapist, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, Russ has also talked a lot about having a say, having more control, having, uh, you know, being able to to influence more of what's going on there. And then you go back to 2018. I don't, I don't know how live these rumors really were about potentially trading for the number one pick, the Josh Allen pro day where – uh, where Schneider was there looking like he was in love uh, in some clips of, of Josh Allen throwing the ball around there. Um, is there anything where Russ looks at the Seahawks and says, I'm not sure you guys are all in on me in, in a way or enough in on me? Do you think there's any any doubts as far as that's concerned? Because, I mean, even when you have all these quarterback controversies, we're talking about maybe Deshaun Watson being traded, maybe these guys being traded. I don't think any quarterback is allowed to leave or there's even any talk of that unless the team is not sold on them in a way. I think, I, you know, like whether it's, uh, I don't think it's the same position as, as Dak Prescott, but maybe it's, it's somewhat similar where the team's not fully sold on him of what's gone on. Do you think there's anything where the Seahawks are, are not sold on, on Russ enough in his mind? You know, I think there's, there's something to that probably from Russell's point of view. Do I don't think like to give you the team side, I really don't think it's that personal. You know what I mean? Like I think Pete Carroll would want to have a run first, 
elite defensive team if me or you was the quarterback, right? If Tom Brady was the quarterback, Johnny United, is, or, you know, Joe Montana was the quarterback. I just think that's kind of how Pete would kick it. It's not personal in that way. It's just like his way of doing football, right? He did the same thing with like Matt Hasselbeck in like 2010. It was just like, yo, like let's scale it back, be safer. You know, like that's just kind of how, you know, he gets down. But from Russell's view, yeah, you can leave, leave, uh, check out some like breadcrumbs and be like, hmm, I look at the league in touchdown passes and you were at Josh Allen's pro day. Or um, <laughs> I played the whole 2016 season on a bad knee and a bad bad ankle and was still like a top 15 guy, didn't miss a practice, didn't miss a game. Um, and then you were going to take Mahomes. Now, like, obviously that would have been great for Seattle to have taken him. But like, if you're Russell, you ain't trying to hear that. Um, so and then, yeah, you go to like, uh, it gets back to Russell's camp. That's Seattle talk to the Browns about the number one overall pick again after Russ just led the league in touchdown passes. You know, playing behind a terrible old line with no run game. So I do think that there's some of that in the idea that like by by not being all in on let Russ cook, you're not all in on me, Russell. Again, I don't think it's that personal, and they're probably Russ in his camp is probably a little overthinking that um, a little bit. But I do think with those things in 2018 or 2017. Um, looking at out of the quarterbacks, considering Mahomes, Baker, um, or Josh Allen, it took control out of, Se- out of the Russell's camp's hands. Um, you know, like if they were going to take Baker, there's nothing Russell could really do if they want to just ship him off, you know, to Cleveland. And I think those things are why Russ has, you know, that no trade clause in his deal that came after, shortly after all those things happened. It's like, okay, do what you want. Do your due diligence, John, Pete. What you're not going to do is catch us off guard. You're not going to take the power out of our hands. If you do want to get rid of us, we're going to have a say in it. Um, and I think that more, as much as like it probably feels like they're not all in, I think that's an element too. Specifically with those, the pro day, the trade talks, they're going to take Mahomes. The response to from Russell's camp was, you're not going to take power away from us. You're not going to take control of my client situation or whatever if you're his agent. Um, you're not going to surprise us. If there's a trade or a transaction, we are going to be involved. We're going to be in control. Uh, I think those two elements are at play as well, if not maybe more so than the uh, Russell viewing that Seattle's not all in on him. Do you think that Russ and his, the way he's approached things with his camp, and you mentioned Colin Coward, some others, where clearly there's a there's a narrative that's being pushed either explicitly or behind the scenes, which then goes out there. Do you think they, the way he approaches things is any more... Um, I don't know what the proper word is here, but that he's really trying to work behind the scenes and actively construct something in, in the media more than any other quarterback would be trying to do. Is, is he trying to like like push something, push something a little bit more than others are? And, and what is the reaction to that from other players? I mean, clearly there was there was a different time where Russell wasn't probably his where he was seen vis-a-vis the rest of the organization and the team. He wasn't on as high of a level back when it was the defensive dominant team where you know, players came out in the media, defensive players who eventually were ended up being traded away or let go. And, you know, there's some disdain there, I think was 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 a probably an appropriate word from defensive players wondering why he was treated in a certain way. Maybe didn't see him as being on that level. Um, is there any issue with teammates? You know, I think that to answer the first part, there, I think there is like a narrative being pushed. Like if you look at a lot of the stuff, like go through my timeline between like February 5th or 4th and when our story comes out and look at all the stuff I'm retweeting from like a cowherd or a lock before or a Brandon Marshall or a Nick Wright or whoever, Dan Patrick, it's all relatively, I'm not saying they're all in on it, but it's pretty anti Pete. Like if you're running a presidential campaign and running Russell against Pete, it would sound exactly like it. it's all like, I even saw the other day, um, uh, I think like it was on coward show. It was like, Instead of let Russ cook, it's like we should do like put heat on Pete. And it was just like, okay, that's like explicitly anti-Pete. You know what I mean? Like whether that's right or wrong, I don't necessarily care, but I'm not going to ignore that. Like that's – there was no – from the time of the Super Bowl to the time our story came out, there were very few national people with a pro-Pete sentiment. Now there were. I I went and looked for them. There were people who like Russell Wilson causes his sacks and all that stuff like that. That, that So are we we saying like the heat on Pete? You think there's like a there's like a boardroom full of full of people sitting around Russell Wilson and they're like pitching things to him? They're like heat on Pete. It's like yes, that's that's it. Let's let's roll. See, I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't get into the evil genius mind of it. But I feel like Thanos is showing videos in the corner and they're like, okay, let's leak that one 
to someone else and, and go out with it. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know the full like I think like um someone who else has had all their stuff too. I think it was like Lock and Four has had all their stuff. And again, like I don't do what you gotta do. I don't I don't care. I'm just saying we can't ignore that stuff. I don't right. I'm not right. saying any of that is good or bad. I I legitimately do not care. But I just can't I cover the Seahawks, right? I can't ignore what looks like a very pro Russ push, you know, from people who have mouthpieces. Like that's important for me to pay attention to. You know, I would do the same thing if it was Bobby Wagner or KJ Raj, Kill Griffin or whatever. Like you just have to kind of pay attention to those things and just like it's not a freaking coincidence. I don't think. So I do think there's like a, a pro sentiment that that Russ wants out there. And honestly, for Russ it's not that crazy. He's controlled his narrative since he entered the league. Right. Like how he's branded himself, you know, like his, I think his clothing line is called like the good man brand. Like, come on, man, that's explicit in there. Like what you're trying to sell, you know, whether it's him as a family man or a father or, you know, as a quarterback or whatever, like Russell has always been in control of his own um, narrative and his own public perception. There's a Rolling Stone piece from 2015 that like di- dives deep into like, yeah, he's always branding Jason Jenks who wrote the story with me has uh, a, an article, I think, titled Why Russell Wilson Behaves Like Someone's Always Watching. You know, like, there's a, that's all, it's not new for Russell to, like, control his narrative. Now, what's different, I think, is when you're doing it towards the coach, which eh, people may feel a way about that. They might not, like, on the team. Now, when you do it towards the players, if you're out there, like, I'm tired of getting hit, and you feel a line, you're like, hold on, okay. It's one thing for you, got, you Russ, to go out there and, like, Hit us in the O-line group chat and be like, guys, 2020 wasn't good enough. Let's get right in 2021. You know, go Hawks. No, that's different. You go out there and say that same sentiment though on a Dan Patrick show, ain't nobody trying to hear that. Like, that that matters. Sometimes it doesn't matter whether you have a point. You know, you're dealing with other grown men and their feelings. You know, you, if you're an O-lineman, you're probably your girl or people back home hitting you like, hey, you see a Russ said y'all trash. You know, like, that stuff matters. Now, Will it matter to the point of like it being like the scene in the longest yard where they just stop blocking for Adam Sandler? Well, probably not. No. Uh, but I do think that stuff does have some effect. And it may be as simple as Russ having a conversation with those guys when they report for OTAs or whatever. The conversation definitely needs to be had because even if you're the worst O-lineman in the league, you don't want your quarterback going out there and saying that. Yeah, you know, yeah. say it to me. Say it to me that I'm the worst, you know, and you want me to get better and let's talk about it as men. You, you go out there and you basically gossip on it that's where guys have again right or wrong don't care that's a real thing you know in in the nfl and i th- I do think that is going to start off being a problem it'll probably get fixed as time goes on but like you can't ignore that that's a real element of this as well with how his teammates feel yeah yeah well at least there are like five of them so then he can just meet with them separately <laughs> and be like no i was talking about the other i was talking about the other that other guy that other guy's trash not you you're cool and then just do that same thing for for each one of them and maybe maybe it'll pay off yeah um, it's interesting because when that article came out, uh, and I, you know the article I'm talking about in Sports Illustrated came out about the dynasty that never was. and Yeah, it's the Clemco so, and Greg Bishop. Yeah, 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 Clemco. I remember specifically, I, I may have been, this is before I was a little bit more uh, well-versed in Twitter and not just like yelling at people. Um, when you first get on there, it's like you're in compulsion. But I remember Clemco was, he was very negative re-Russell Wilson, even in some replies where he was saying, because he said something to the effect of, um, I can't remember how many teams it was. It was something like he, he he didn't see six teams or seven teams who would trade for Russell Wilson at that point in, in time. Now, things would be much different now. And he specifically, specifically mentioned things like this guy does not like – give his of his alignment a chance to to block anybody because of how he's bailing out of the back of the pocket and doing things like that. You know, Russ takes a lot of pressures. He holds on to the ball a lot. Um how you know, a lot of this you could kind of point the cue the you know quarterback stat um for 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 sacks here. I mean how much is this is this on him that he's now turning around and, and potentially blaming other people for? Yeah, and that's the thing where if you're a lineman you know, blocking for Rust. It's always been a unique challenge blocking for Rust just because of the style that he plays. But, like, for him to go up there and not only kind of dump on you guys, he's not taking any accountability. I think he said, like, one or two lines, like, on Dan Patrick's show, I think he says, like, sometimes that is you holding on to the ball. Like, he 
but it'll be like if his 10 sentences about the protection, it'll only be one where he takes some accountability and then nine about how the blocking needs to be better. And that's really not what you want to see. Again, even if he has a point, sometimes that just doesn't matter because he does like the fact that, again, this is like a campaign thing. That number of sacks that he's had, look at it, it's evolved. It's like, okay, 394, 394, 394. I had never heard that number before like the Super Bowl this year. Now I've heard it like it's everywhere. Right. Coincidence? Yeah, yeah. Probably not. Now it's kind of evolved to like nearly 400 times. Right. Because it's a nice round number that people can like put well, the number like of pressures. I just alive. saw. I think I just saw that in the last couple of days, the number of pressures. So it's like, you know, it's even it's even higher than that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's part of um, I do think it's like part of a narrative. But even if I didn't think that, I do think there needs to be more if I'm a teammate. But like, yo, like it's all of us, you know, like we're, we're all part of the protection. And it's not even just the O-line. You know, the backs are part of the protection as well. The tight ends are part of the te- protection. Like, it's it's little, sometimes receivers are, are, are part of that too. It's like we're all part of that number. And he seems to be, from a player, I can easily see, dude, you are just up there talking like, you don't have any role in this. And I know, 100% know that the, his teammates do not feel that, like, they're the only ones to blame for, for like, a sack. You know, one day I was in a locker room. This is, I can't remember what year it is, May 2018. And I wasn't even interviewing anyone. I was just kind of going to O-line and going to their lockers and just talking. I was like, guys, what what causes a sack? I think that was like my general question. And there were so many interesting answers. I didn't record any of this, so I can't like recite it. But I was just like, what goes into that? And I was getting some really honest answers, um, probably because I wasn't recording, which is ironic. But I was like, yeah, yeah, sometimes it's us. It was like, sometimes we just get whooped. You know, that just happens, right? We're out there every play, you know? Like, we're out there every play, maybe 68 plays in a game. We have one bad one. We sucked that day. And that defensive lineman was great because he had that one play where he beat me. You know, there's that. It's like, sometimes our play call just stinks. They have something better. Sometimes uh, we blow, you know, miscommunication up front. Sometimes the quarterback holds on to the ball too long. Sometimes the quarterback miscommunicated with the center or the blah, blah, blah. Sometimes they just send more than we got. Sometimes the back gets blown up, the tight end gets over. It was all these different things. And it's just like, there's so much that goes into that number. So to simplify that, and I know coaches feel the same way. Like whoever, I mean, like if you're uh, somebody who was talking to Klimko for that story, if you're a coach, you're probably like, yo, man, go put out there that Russ is holding the ball too long, blah, blah, blah. Like that's, it's a real, real thing. But what Russ has done, Again, this goes to the control. He's done a good job getting out in front of that and being like, no, no, no. Protection is the issue. Go get me better dudes. And because he has a point, it's a lot easier um, to push that. But it really is not just that simple. Two things are true. As I, I'll close this out. Two things are true. Russell plays a style of football that lends himself to a lot of hits and sacks and pressures. 100% true. Don't care what Russell has to de- re- rebuttal. That's just a, a fact. Two, the Seahawks have been really bad at putting O-linemen around him for nine years. And that's true as well. No matter what Pete Carroll or John Snyder would say, it's true. Like, look at your guys. Most, a lot of them are, haven't been very good, and your quarterback pays because of it, and so does your whole offense. So because those two things are true and everyone's right in this situation, I think that is also kind of how we got to this place where we're all wondering, like, what the hell happens next? Because no one, no one necessarily has to admit they're wrong because, like, in a weird way, they're not. But to move forward, someone does have to admit some level of fault to move forward. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I've heard you say this, and I think it's probably the case. It's like, I mean, they're going to have to move forward probably this season, right? There's just not a logical trade route. It's a huge cap hit. They're a team that is just made moves like the Jamal Adams trade to compete now. I don't think they're going to want to you know, rebuild or start over with a rookie or any of those sorts of things. So, so they're going to have to go forward, let's say, this season. Like, what's going to have to happen this season so that next offseason – where there really is a chance that he's going to want to go that, that, that doesn't happen. Is it just going to be the results? Is it going to be what happens? Is it going to be what they do in free agency and what they do in the draft to, you know, after the last couple of years in the draft, I mean, let's look at here, you know, Jordan Brooks in the, in the first round, um, they took Taylor to defensive end in the second round. They took LJ Collier, a defensive end, a safety. They did get DK, but again, that was their second, second round pick. So they were, they were kind of waiting around to start spending some of these things that are going to help, help Russ out. Do they need to invest a lot more on that side of the ball this this offseason, being somewhat hamstrung from the fact that they gave up those picks for Jamal Adams? I, I think the process is really important here. Like just making Russ feel like he's involved in it, 
you know, is and honestly, bring him in the draft room, have him uh, have him grinding some tape. I mean, shoot, if he's willing to, but I really just think <laughs> like because they've been so bad at the O line thing for a while, like it can't hurt to get your quarterback's input. That doesn't mean yeah, he needs to grind tape of all the free agent centers right now. Like, does he need to do it? Not necessarily, but if he's got a guy in mind. Sure, go watch some tape on the guy. Let him you know, figure it out. You know, before you make a signing, maybe you know, call Russ. Like, hey man, we're we're getting real close to a deal with, say, the Bills cut uh, their guy. I think uh, Mitch Morse. I want to say, let's say they cut him. All right, it's like yeah. hey, we're thinking about this, blah blah blah. And it's like, hey, before you do that, like, I think you should really take a look at you know Alex Mack. Sure, man, take a look. But if you're like, now nah, we're just gonna go with Mitch. It's just like, okay, even if you're right on that, like. How he how Russ feels about the situation and the process should should matter to some extent. Now that's a lot easier for me to say because I'm not like privy to all the information they have of how the process goes and all these things and contract negotiations and draft picks and whatever and pre draft visits. But like for the most part, I don't think it's that hard from the from the personnel side to make Russ feel like he's involved in the process. You know. That's it. Like, it's just a conversation he wants. He doesn't want to be out here scouting every lineman and going to every draft, pre-draft meeting. No, and be on an every Zoom call for every lineman. Hell no. He's too busy. He's swimming with sharks, right? Like, he's just he's having fun living in his life. That part, I think, can be settled relatively easily. It's the offensive philosophy that is going to be tricky because, like we talked about, Pete controls everything. It's his baby. Shane Waldron is going to run what Pete says to run. There's nothing really Russ can do about that. He's already tried to let Russ cook thing. It worked for eight, nine games, and then Pete backed off of it. If he was really only willing to give it like eight, nine games, then I don't see him recommitting to that. And I think that is ultimately what's going to be the demise. It won't be the personnel say like, quarterbacks just don't get that. But they should get some say in how the offense is run. It's like, dude, you are the offense. Like, you touch the ball every play. You're the only guy, you know, who, who outside of the center that touches the ball every play. So, like, he should have some – say there and because i don't think he will that's why i think this is trending towards the force i know people have felt like i've been all doom and gloom saying i don't think how pete and russ can coexist it's like i'm serious man it, two dudes are just they're just different uh, two different dudes who want control and only ultimately one guy can have control and i think at the end of the day it's probably going to be pete carroll now was i wrong about the fact that you think it's this this season's probably going to go on with with russ in the fold Oh yeah, yeah. No, this season for sure. No, no. Yeah, I think. Okay. All right. Well, this season, season they will. They give. They give it a shot. Yeah. Next season, I, mean, I don't how, know. This season, they got to give it a shot. Can you? Can you give me a, a, a highly uh, uh, not, not not high confidence here, but a number? Like, what do you think is the chances that that Russ is is gone next off season? Fifty fifty, better than that, or or do you have like a a tipping point for how far they have to go? Is, is that going to make the difference? Oh, I do have that. Uh, Super Bowl. Super yeah, Bowl. So you Super Bowl or bust? Yeah. Super. Okay. You maybe could get like if they were to narrowly lose the NFC title game, perhaps uh-huh. in a way that like is not due to the offense. Let's say like the defense gives up a, a drive or something like right. that. And it's just something where if you're Russell, it's like, well, you know, we, we did our thing or whatever. You know, I think that that's a possibility. Um, that also might depend on who they lose it to, though, because like, let's say you lose it to the Bucks that just might infuriate Russ in a way where he like just takes all of his stuff and moves out of the city of Seattle. But um, I think Super Bowl is where you got to get to. Um, and the reason I'm so low on the idea of Russ being the quarterback in 2022 is because I don't think they will get there because I do think the hire of Shane Waldron was to double down on Pete ball, you know, um, for better or worse, I just kind of think that's what it's going to be. And the reason I don't think Pete Ball will get them where they want to go is that most people have kind of come to realize when you want to play the Pete Ball, you want to run and play elite defense, you need elite defense. It's not just like a luxury. You need your defense to be elite if the ground game is what you're going to hang your hat on offensively. Whereas if your passing game is what's the elite thing, the lessens the burden of what your defense your defense can probably just has to be what like league average maybe honestly whatever the chiefs were you know to be honest like that's probably yeah, what you yeah. have to be like league league average right right that's whereas if you're gonna be like the browns and do what they do and win or like the titans and do what they do and win a championship you need some studs over there and defense is just not that sustainable year to year in terms of being elite 
So I just don't think that's the best way to go about it. So like I do think Seattle's defense will be very good um, in 2021, actually. Um, like they're bringing all back the pieces that they need. I just, I think they just need to resign KJ. Right. But I don't think it'll be elite enough to complement a run first attack. I think you'll see a lot of Russell throwing a bunch of fourth quarter touchdowns, trying to rally again, doing what he hates doing. Um, and they'll probably, it's unlikely they get back to the Super Bowl. So if that's the case, I just don't know how they can continue to coexist when they can't agree in the end of the year on why they didn't reach the Super Bowl. Like if Russ gets to the end of the year and he's like, well, you know, I don't think our protection was very good. And Pete's, you know, assessment of the situation is, well, nothing a good run game can't fix. It's like, well, okay, that's one of you guys has to go because you you, you can't both necessarily be right in your priorities um, and move forward. Yeah, well, I mean, Russell has been a fixture there in the Pacific Northwest for a while. It's wild to think that he could be gone, but, you know, most of these quarterbacks, by the time that they're done, they do end up somewhere somewhere else eventually, even 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 the great ones. So it'll it'll be an interesting, it'll be a good off season, keeping you busy during the off season. Maybe you don't want to be so busy during, during, during the yeah, off season. Yeah, it just depends but. on the on the busyness. Like I like to what I hate and this is why I like that we were able to report something and then everyone react to us. Right. Because I hate having to chase down stuff that like um it's like uh let's say like this is just an example. Let's say Colin Coward says something about the Seahawks or something like that. And it's like, or like, let's, a perfect example. The Rust to New York rumors from like two years ago. And that was generated by Colin's show. It's like, Mike, yeah. what is this? Is, is, is Russ going to New York? Like, I don't freaking know. Go ask Colin. Like, I, I didn't say <laughs> nothing about that. Like, I was just chilling. Right. And all of a sudden, it's like, Mike, I think Russell's going to go to the Giants. It's like, time out. What? And I get sent the link. And it's like, oh, my God. Now I have to go chase this thing down that I have really no insight on, didn't do any reporting on. Or whatever. Like I'm very comfortable coming on talking about something I reported and dug into. But if you're just asking me to chase down, you know, Peter King column nuggets, like go ask Peter. <laughs> you know, he wrote the thing. So that's my that's my least favorite part of my job in the off season. But like, yeah, if it's just if I it's my job to generate the content because I talked to people and I did some digging, that I'm cool with. So like Russell, if you got any more. Uh, stuff bombshells you're about to drop just let me know first you know that's yeah, all that's so let, i don't even got to report it just let me know so i'm not chasing down random you know columns from other websites yeah whatever whatever they're coming up with whatever slogans they're coming up with and, and ideas are coming up with hopefully they can they can get you with them first well th- thanks again uh everyone thanks for tuning in you can follow uh michael sean dugar on twitter it's at mike dugar correct that is correct yeah follow yep. him read him at the athletic i always tell everyone make sure you subscribe to the athletic it's uh, an amazing investment across the league, not only for the Seahawks coverage, but but for everyone else. And uh, we'll be coming at you again next week and free agency on the roll on the rise. So everyone prepare and get strapped in for that. Thanks so much for joining me, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me.